Is it time? This is the My New Norm podcast. And I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. And now, on with the show. Now he's been wanting to put garlic chives in everything. <laughs> well, not everything. Dad, sight of your face is drooping. Mom? Probably nothing. Dad, are you okay? You're slurring. Why are you slurring? Dad, are you okay? Gracie, call 911. I just... Honey? Oh, Tim! Tim! Tim, look at me, Gracie. Tell them to hurry. Tim, look at me. Look at me, Tim. Dad, I don't know. I think he's having a stroke. I think my dad is having a stroke. Tim, Tim, what's going on? you know when someone is having a stroke? Recognizing the signs and acting quickly could mean the difference between life and death, or between a full recovery and a lasting disability. In this episode, my friend Ron Ost shares about a major event that took place in his life. An event that I can certainly relate to. Ron had a stroke. The events that led up to his stroke and what took place after is a story you'll want to hear. Ron shares his thoughts on fostering deep relationships and a living faith that were key parts of his remarkable recovery. Listen today as Ron, a husband, father, senior pastor, talented pianist, and computer brainiac, shares his story that sounds so unbelievable, even the doctor called it nothing short of a miracle. Remember to share this important episode with those you know. And now, a stroke of grace. Enjoy. Well, hello, Ron Ost. How are you? I'm doing great. Very young. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this. It gives us uh, an excuse to see each other and to hear each other. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I've been excited about this. Ron and I have known each other probably 2004. Somewhere in there. That sounds about right. Yeah, somewhere in there. Our church came out of your church. Your influence and friendship in my life has been awesome. And uh, I wanted to hear your story. We've entitled this uh, A Stroke of Grace. And we're going to find out why. And we're stroke brothers. You had you had a yeah. stroke in what? 2018? 2018, but I actually, um, I get a prize because I had three strokes simultaneously. Oh, you were going Did for you know the that? record. <laughs> it's like go big or go home. I didn't know that I'll was possible, say, but it happens occasionally. Well, I had two, uh, one stroke, and after the um, test, the MRI, uh, Dr. Laura said, hey, this is your second one. And I went, Really? Really? So, 
Anyway, well, let's get into it, Ron. Uh, where were you raised? What were you like before those kinds of things? I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I was actually born in Michigan, but my family moved west. Oh, I think we moved to Arizona in 1969 when I was probably four years old. So what happened is I grew up in Arizona, in Phoenix. Um, my my dad was in construction, and if you didn't know, Arizona's kind of hot, and doing construction <laughs> in Arizona is hard. And uh, for years, he had hoped to move to California to a nicer climate. Um, we live in, in North San Diego County right now, and this was one of the areas he hoped to possibly move to. But he had this value. I'm the youngest of three sons, and he thought it'd be nice for me to be able to graduate from high school with my friends. Nice. So he waited till I graduated from high school. The year, My senior year, they sold the house, the family house, and rented a house down the street, packed up everything so that on the day, the morning after I graduated high school, we drove to Oceanside, California. Oh, my. So I think it was June 2nd, 1982, moved here, and I've lived here ever since. Wow. So I lived here 40 years. I feel like I'm an Oceanside guy at this point. Oh, I'll say. So you moved to San Diego. You came here and I believe you went to college here too, right? Yeah, I was 17, just out of high school. And I went to UC, San University of California, San Diego, and got a degree in computer science. And that was your interest and your passion at the time, right? Well, not really. So there's a story there. I, <laughs> I, I grew up in the church mm -hmm. and I, I loved, I mean, I love the church. I've always loved the church. The people that, that complain about the church, you know, and they have lots of right. bad things to say about the church. I can never relate because I have always loved the church. It, I think wow. she's beautiful. I mean, there's problems. But I mean, when I was a teenager, I loved going to church Sunday morning twice, Sunday night, Wednesday <laughs> night, some kind of a, there was another group. I just I love worship. I love I'm a, I'm a piano player and I was helping lead worship from the time I was a 14 year old in church. So it made sense that I would be the guy that would go off to Bible college and try to become a pastor. But when I was, I think, 14, maybe 15 um, Mrs. Reed, our sophomore English teacher, said, you guys got to figure out what you're going to do in life, man. Make a goal. <laughs> so I thought I better pray. I prayed and did not feel a green light from the Lord to go try to be a pastor. And I thought that would be spiritually illegal. You have to be called <laughs> to be a pastor, I figured. So, so um, I said at that time, I said, okay, Lord, I will go find some career, but I commit to serve you in your church with everything I got for the rest of my life. So I was always involved in church and I went to, I just picked, I picked a degree. I didn't know anything about computer science actually, but I thought, well, that sounds like a cool title. And I accidentally picked the university. Um, I, I knew my family was moving to San Diego, but at 17, I didn't even know where San Diego was. You oh, know? My word. I, it was California. I didn't know Southern, Northern, anything. A friend of mine, said, hey, there's a school in San Diego called the University of California, San Diego. I have an extra application. Would you like it? And I wow. said, okay. I, I filled it out and um, got accepted. I didn't know what I was doing. I was pretty shy. 
very terrified to go off to the big university. I didn't know it was like a super hard, <laughs> difficult university. And I was <laughs> going to be swimming with some big fish. <laughs> I, it was really rough, you know. But anyway, I did it and I graduated and, and just was involved in church life. But um, that would have been my passion. So I was always involved in worship um, teaching, you know, teaching Bible studies. I was sometimes effectively like an assistant pastor at a church, just super right. crazy involved, but doing computer science to have a career. Wow. Not my passion though, really. Although I liked it. When did you meet your wife? Was it at school? That's another story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we met, so we're five years apart. And I met Kim when she was 11 years old and I was 16. Oh my so you didn't know this story. This is a funny story, too. So uh, probably by the time she got to be 12 or so, our mothers were best friends at church. And they started praying that their kids would grow up and get married. When when Kim was 12 and I was like 16 and 17, <laughs> which, wow. of course, was an awkward time. And yeah. anyway, they, they, they seriously prayed that would happen. And our families were friends. And as... We got older. I moved to California when I was 17. She stayed there. Then her, her dad's in the Air Force, so they moved to Florida, oh, in the mid early 80s. And we stayed in contact. And I remember when she was 17 years old, I would have been about 22, she visited Phoenix. And one of my friends there said, have you seen Kim? Wow. <laughs> and she was, you know, 17 now growing up. Yeah. And we started um, – just being friends, talking. When she was nineteen, going to turn 19, um, I was, a, I think at the time, 23. So, you know, I'm always either four or five years older on the calendar. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm so old. It's time to start thinking about finding a wife because I'm 23. <laughs> it's like time's moving on, right? <laughs> so I thought, I wonder, I wonder about Kim. You know, our, our moms liked each other. They prayed. She's got a cool family. I don't really know her. So I, I called her. She was now going to school in, in Oklahoma. And I called her on her birthday. And, I, and on the phone call, I suddenly had an idea across my mind. I said, hey, I have an idea. Why don't I fly you out to California and we'll spend a weekend together and we'll go snow skiing in the mountains of California. We'll go to the beach. We'll go snow skiing. It's really cool to be in Southern California. Right. She was She was nervous to have this older man, you know. Well, she's at this Christian school. Her friend said, no, you got to go. You got to go. So she snuck out of her dorm. <laughs> oh, my. And that was how we started our like first date. And it was really? kind of rough. Um, and we continued, though, like the following Christmas. She said, hey, my family is going to be renting or staying in a cabin of some friends of ours in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee for Christmas. Would you like to come out? And I said, yes. So I got on the plane and flew out to uh, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Okay, so we went there and we were trying to discern, should we try to do a long distance relationship? We started liking each other. And at the end of that week, I mean, everyone knew why I was there. It was like I was finding out if we would start dating or something. Uh, her, her little brother was making a lot of funny jokes. You know, he was a 14-year-old kid. <laughs> And we decided um, prayerfully that we would try to do long distance dating. And so we did. And we did that through her college. 
Um, we got engaged her senior year. Right after she graduated, I drove out to her graduation with a friend. We drove her back to California. She lived at my parents' house, and we we were going to get married um, the summer after she graduated on August first, nineteen ninety two. So it's been thirty years. We just celebrated our thirtieth anniversary. Yeah, and that was our first time living in the same state for just two months. Oh my! So that's how we got. Wow. That's how we got together and got married. We just wow. celebrated our thirtieth anniversary. Well, great. Good for you guys. Yeah. So you're married, you finished school, you're really kind of taking a, a role of a assistant pastor. What started to change to move you into full time? Well, it, there's another story, Barry. <laughs> so I'm 30 <laughs> years old. It's 1995, the spring of 1995. I'm with um, a guy who's just planted a church called Grace Chapel of the Coast. Um, and I'm part of the team that's planting a new church, Kim and I. So we've been married three years. One morning, early in the morning, like around four o'clock, I was up praying, seeking the Lord, preparing for a Bible study that I was going to be leading. I was reading the second chapter of Haggai in the Old Testament. I remember it well. And it was as if the Lord walked into the room where I was sitting and a dramatic, like the, like a holy moment, frightening the presence of the Lord. And he spoke to me and said, I'm calling you into full-time ministry, which meant to me vocational, get paid to do, you know, that's going to be my, my right. job now. And it was not audible, but it might as well have been audible. It was so loud and unmistakable. It was, I've never had a moment like this in my life before or since. You know, I'm not one, this is God speaks to me all the time. I mean, I believe in God's leading, but yeah. not like this. And I said, in response, I said, Lord, is that you? And he said, yes. And I said, why did you wait so long? Because <laughs> because I had had this conversation when I was like 14 or 15 years old. And he never responded to that question. Mm. And and I just was like, you know, the goosebumps, hair in the back of my neck standing up. And I said, well, if this is you, Lord, you'll make it happen. I'm not going to tell anybody. So I didn't even tell my wife about it. Just wow. kept it between me and the Lord. That was the spring. By the fall of that year, the pastor that was planning this church came to us and said, um, we feel it's time to bring on an assistant pastor, and we think you're the guy for the job. Would you pray about it? And we prayed, but I already kind of had the answer, you know, from earlier mm -hmm. that year. And there, there's some more pieces to the story, but I won't go into them. But, but God spoke again in the summer about something else that was really directly related. Anyway, uh, that was the fall. And I began tailoring off my work at the, I was working at the university in a cognitive science lab that I helped get going on the computer side of things and began tapering off my work there and started working as an assistant pastor was full-time by January 1st, 1996. Wow. And I did, I was, so I was an assistant pastor at this church plant for nine years. And then in 2004, which you were talking about when we were kind of getting to know each other in 2004, the founding pastor moved on to other things and mm -hmm. the um, leadership asked me to become a pastor, become the lead pastor. And um, there's, there's a whole long story involved in that, but I won't go into that for another time maybe. Um, but I became the senior pastor in 2004. Nice. Well, you have such a way, um, once you meet people, they are always on your radar. 
Mm-hmm. You are one of the best friends anyone can have. You mm-hmm. you really take an interest and you connect with people like I've never seen. I really have seen that over the years, knowing you and your. Oh, thank you, Ben. Um, you know, someone said the other day. They said you're the kind of person that loves people more than ministry. Hmm. And I, I yeah, get that would it. be true. You have everyone has a story, and every stroke survivor has their unique story. My stroke story, like every story, there's a big story. It, I had a stroke on April twentieth. 2018, but the story begins on April 15th, Sunday, hmm. April 15th. On that day, our church was having um, an event in a park, and the idea was we were going to have a picnic and play games, maybe have softball or something in a park in a neighborhood, and try to meet people in the neighborhood to just get to know them and maybe share Jesus with them, that kind of thing. We had just, I had recently invited a new family to our church and because the son of this family went to school with my son, um, probably sixth, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. So the mother in that family was at this picnic and I was wanting to introduce her to people. I didn't really know her very well. So I asked her, her name's Laura. I said, Laura, what, what is it that you do? And she said, well, I'm a neurologist. And I said, so what is it you do? And she said, well, I'm actually a hospitalist. And I was like, ah, really, what is it you do? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and she said, well, I, I, a hospitalist means I only practice neurology in a hospital. Um, I don't have like a private office where if you had migraines, you'd see me. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, well, let me put it this way. You never, ever want to meet me in the hospital. If you meet me in the hospital, it's a really bad day for you and it's going to be life altering. And then she said, and you really, really never want to meet me and a rheumatologist on the same day in the hospital. So that that's a fun part of the story because you probably can guess what I just foreshadowed, who I met in the hospital five days <laughs> later. Both Laura and... A rheumatologist, <laughs> which I just wow. think is so, so fun and ironic the way it worked out, you know, looking back. So a few days later, on Wednesday, the 18th of April, I was at Disneyland with my daughter's choir. She was in high school and her choir got to go to a program where they would go to a studio at Disneyland and they would work with a professional recording artist and, and learn what it's like to be doing the music for like a cartoon movie, an animated oh. Disney movie. And they right. actually recorded them with my daughter singing the solo for I think uh, the maybe it was the Moana movie. So mm-hmm. you're, you're in the studio, you have a professional, they're telling you what it's like to work for Disney. They rehearse you a little bit, you sing the song, you do the solo, and then they show then they put it on top of the movie that you already know like moana if that was it and um and it's like your your kid is singing for the disney movie it's really fun and then we got to go just spend the day going on rides at disneyland and this this is part of i'm sure as you'll find as i tell the story how i ended up having strokes so we did all the rides and everything the next day is thursday the 19th of 
April. Um, I had a really busy, fast-paced day. I, at the end of the day, I, I was in um, a place called Coronado, which is kind of an, a, an island, so to speak, at the end of San Diego. My son was playing tennis there. We were racing back from there to get to a small, like a home group Bible study where I was going to be leading worship. And it was just a hectic, go as fast as you can day. I get to this Bible study. I lead worship playing a guitar. And during the time that I'm leading worship, the host of the Bible study has a vision from the Lord. If you know, if your audience doesn't know what a vision is, that's where you see something in your mind's eye, like a picture or sometimes even a, a little bit of a movie clip. It's not like you open your eyes and see it. It's just kind of, it's kind of like in your imagination. But she saw this vision of me on an open four-wheel drive vehicle going over these giant boulders like 100 miles an hour. She would later say, she didn't want to say it because it seemed silly, but it looked like the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. So she sees wow. this vision and she hears the Lord say, you need to pray for Ron, he's not safe. He needs to stop and go to the oasis. So we finish worshiping. She is shaken. She goes, Ron, I just had this vision. We're supposed to pray for you. You are not safe. We need to lay hands on you. So the, the group gathers around, lays hands on me, and begins praying for me for whatever's going on that I'm not safe. Well, not, you know, eight hours later, at around six in the morning on Friday, I'm in my kitchen drinking a cup of coffee, talking with my wife and a house guest. And suddenly I hear a loud ringing in my ears and begin to feel like I'm going to pass out. And I say to my wife and our friend Trish, I want you to know that um, I'm going to set my coffee cup down and lie down on the floor because I feel like I'm going to pass out. And I don't want to hit my head on the way down and injure myself if I do oh, pass out. My. So I lie down. Um, the friend says to my wife, Trish says, you need to call 911 right now. She recognized this looked like a stroke. My wife didn't, I didn't. And, you know, we were like, really? Um, I, I said, yeah, I'm feeling really like dizzy. And my wife's Kim's saying, could you put your head between your legs, drink some water? What, you know, would help. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm too weak. My speech, my speech is starting to slur. They get on the phone with the, um, 911. As they're talking with the dispatcher and they're getting the paramedics to you know, come to the house, the left side of my body goes numb. So I tell him that my, my body's going numb. They get the ambulance there and they haul me out and on the, the stretcher thing. I don't remember much of the ambulance ride, but while mm. this is happening, our friend mm. Laura that I met at this picnic, or I was talking about at the picnic, gets her work phone um, and it sends her a text message that says she needs to get to the emergency room right away. There's a stroke patient coming in. And then the next text message is my name. And she's like, oh my goodness. Oh. She tells her mom, you need to take the kids to school and you need to pray. I can't tell you who this is, but this is a very important person in our lives. Oh. I got to get to the hospital. And she said, she told me later, she was thinking, this is not good. I, I think I was 53. And she mm -hmm. said, if you are young and you have a stroke, you're almost definitely going to die. So she's immediately thinking, I'm going to be talking with Kim and their kids and saying, I'm so sorry, your dad is yeah. going to die. We have to pull the plug. Just the day before, she'd had a stroke patient my age and took the family through pulling the plug just, you know, because all there was life support. So she's thinking all this. 
they get to the she meets me at the hospital um you know they go through the whole thing where they do a, uh, mri and i think a cat scan you've probably experienced right. this on that big machine mm-hmm. they check to make one. sure you don't have a brain hemorrhage <laughs> they ask you for authorization to give you a shot of something called tpa which is kind of a stroke miracle drug that can it's a clot buster so they give me that get me in my room she comes in the room and she says we don't know what's going on but your vasculature just looks raggedy and there there's this big clot they don't want to do surgery um she said we're going to call in a rheumatologist <laughs> oh no <sighs> so back back up a little bit while i'm on the floor and the ambulance is coming i tell my wife honey go get my phone and get one of the kids who knows how to unlock it get into my contacts call um i had two appointments i said call josh tell him i can't make it for coffee talk call joey i can't make it to the breakfast and call sharon she's a prayer warrior and get her praying mm. and uh, like i was in control or something i remember yeah. that though it was just too funny the way i'm like giving instructions so sharon <laughs> gets called she starts sending the word out and um gets people on facebook praying and rather quickly people around the world are praying my friends in zambia china israel germany chile just to name some of the countries i remember people all over the world are literally calling on the lord for me um that's one of the reasons why we call this a stroke of grace i'd gotten prayer before the strokes mm. have now so now i'm in the hospital and it turns out i had something called a tear in my vertebral or a dissection of my vertebral artery. So you have two arteries that go up your vertebrae as well as the carotid arteries up front here. One of those had a tear in the inner lining. This was a flap-like tear of the muscle tissue. Your arteries are made of three layers of muscle if you picture that kind of tube. The inner layer tore made like a flap-like kind of tear. When that happened it sent a spray of clots into my brain. and i had because of that spray of clots i had a stroke in my left cerebellum a stroke in my thalamus and a stroke in my parietal temporal lobe all at the same time so i'm oh like having three word. major strokes at once very oh. severe at at some point like it's either the next day or later that morning i think it was the next day dr does dear laura walks into my room and i'm sitting up in the bed and i i say hey how you doing you got a funny smile on your face dr laura what's going on and she said okay you're sitting up in bed talking to me let's just start calling this a miracle right now oh my this is a miracle you should not be sitting in bed talking to me and when that was so it was the 20th when i had the stroke i got to go into some rehab in the hospital and I had I, I mean I had a miracle recovery but I still had to recover sure. in some natural way so I had occupational therapy physical therapy you know I couldn't stand at first and then I learned to walk with a walker mm-hmm. then I learned to walk with a cane and I had about I think about 2 yeah 2 weeks of the therapy in the rehab unit that you've been in the same rehab right. unit you've been in and on May 3rd 
they checked me out. They said, you know, you are doing so well. There's just no reason for you to be in the hospital. And I, I was thinking, are, are there, is this an insurance thing? They're trying to kick me out. Save money. And they're like, oh, no, why would you want to stay here? You are really doing so ridiculously well. There's no reason for you to be here. You are doing great. So they checked me out. And this is a fun part of the story that they have Dr. Laura and then the head neurologist and a radiologist and the nurse, at least those four, might have been five people to review my case as I'm being released from the hospital. And they have a fresh scan, a fresh MRI, um, maybe a CAT scan too, I can't remember which scans. So they're looking at the original scan of my brain and the scan on the day that I'm checking out. And they said, well, this must be a mistake. There's no way this is the same brain. This can't be. So they took the images and lined them up to see, you know, the shape of the skull, where the nose is, is it the same head or did they misname the scan? They're like, no, this is the same, this is the same, same brain. And, oh, I can't remember what it's called, the PCA, it's a certain artery in the brain, is where there should no longer be blood flow because at the end of that artery is where I had a stroke and blood no longer flows to dead brain tissue. Well, I had blood flow there and they just looked at it and said, this is impossible. He can't have blood flow here. This brain looks way better. What's, you know, what's going on? And they wrestled with trying to find an explanation. And finally, Dr. Desider said to them, look, people around the world were lifting this man in prayer to the Lord. The most logical explanation is that this is a miracle of God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Wonderful story. And I figured, by, oh, by the way, this is another part. Uh, the, the, the neurologist over the hospital is talking to me uh, probably the day of the stroke, maybe the next day. And he says, you know, you, you look like a healthy person. We're trying to figure out why you would have a vertebral dissection. Um, have you been to an amusement park recently? Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, I was at Disneyland two days ago. And he goes, oh, did you ride the, uh, anyway, there's a particular roller coaster that's like you are in space and, you know, <laughs> it's dark. And he said, did you ride that one? I said, oh, yeah, I read all the roller coasters. And that one in particular, he said, you can't, since it's in the dark, your head can fly around and that jerking of the neck could cause the damage to this artery. I thought it was funny that the first question was, have you been to an amusement park yeah, recently? Yeah. So. When I put all that together with the story of the girl, the lady having the vision, Shannon having the vision of me on the Indiana Jones ride, and I was on the Indiana Jones ride, I'm I'm guessing that on the Indiana Jones ride, I injured the artery in my neck, and by the next morning, I um, was having three strokes. Wow. But I mean, just so amazing that before the event happened, people are praying for me. As I'm stroking, people around the globe and locally are praying for me. God does this wonderful thing to give me um, blood flow where I can't have blood flow. And they called Mm. it a miracle. And if you see me today, most people, when I tell them this story, they say, oh, I had no idea. I don't see any evidence of a stroke. So Mm -hmm. I have some um, disability, but no one can see it. So I'm, I might, if I get really stressed out, start to limp a little bit. You had mentioned, but Ron, to me, that's it. Um, after I had my stroke, one of the first things I did 
when I was home was I had lunch with you. And when we were eating, mm -hmm. as we were talking about strokes, you said, it's very, very common for me when I talk about my stroke, I can start feeling what I went through. Remember that? That your leg or your arm, um, yes. the sensation yes, you had, you said as you talk about it, you can start feeling it. Mm -hmm. It's the same. Yeah. I thought you had, there's two kinds of strokes, you know, a bleed out and then um, a blockage. I thought you had a bleed out. Apparently you didn't. You had a tear which no. formed blood clots. Yeah, that's right. The tear sent a spray of clots into my brain. Yeah. Ah. And it seems it was damage done on a roller coaster or a roller coaster type ride at Disneyland. Man. Now, did they repair the injury? No, no. The, um, Dr. Laura said she, they asked the, I guess, the internist, would you like to do surgery? And he said, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot mm. pole because mm. of what I described earlier, the vasculature in my brain just looked raggedy. Mm. That, and that's why they called in a rheumatologist. At that time, they were thinking maybe I had vasculitis. And one of the treatments they gave me was um, a shot of some kind of steroids to try to calm things down in case I had vasculitis. But I didn't have vasculitis. The blood work showed that that wasn't the case. So when you were released from the hospital, you were able to get your driver's license back. I know you had a fight because of what the professional put down. And you were continuing in rehab. How long do you think it took for you to start feeling as close as normal uh, as possible. Oh, I'm I'm gonna. This is gonna be a guess. I can't really remember now. You know, four years ago, but I feel like by probably by the middle of July, maybe August. Remember, I had the stroke in April, so that's major. Three months later, maybe I was pretty good. So in rehab, you know, I. I'm walking mostly with a cane. They got rid of the cane pretty quickly. Had me doing lots of different exercises. Everything, you know, you, you think, I, I wonder if I'll ever do anything again. Yeah. But with just a little bit of pressure from the physical therapist, you know, lose the cane, don't carry that anymore. Um, we're gonna have you doing these funny exercises like standing on a trampoline and catching things and just getting your balance going again, just exercising mm -hmm. that part of your brain. Doing fine motor skill stuff with my left hand. I'm also a piano player. So playing the piano was really a big deal. And they have you do a lot of interesting things that cause you to cross the median line left and right. So like every time you cross your arms over each other or you scissor walk, mm -hmm. those sorts of things, doing um, standing on one foot balancing, but with your feet crossing, every time you cross, um, the median line with your limbs, it does something to rehabilitate the brain somehow. So pretty wow. soon, you know, I'm out walking, not on a sidewalk, but on very rough terrain. I thought, I can't do this, but I did it. And next thing you know, you, you can walk anywhere. And first you can't do stairs, but next thing you know, you're running up and down stairs. Probably, but I think I got my license on July 15th. And that was 
There was just a mistake that a doctor checked the wrong box on a form that got sent to the DMV, and I had to go prove to them that I wasn't um, you know, severely disabled. When I walked into the guy that makes the decision, I walk into his office and he's like, oh, what's up with you? I thought you'd be like rolling in here in a wheelchair with your like neck hanging over. You're like completely fine. Yeah. And you just check me up. You just have to go take a test. In many ways, you know, the history that led you up to the stroke and then your history with recovery of a stroke, what happens in your brain when you hear someone that you know is having a stroke? What goes through your mind? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm just immediately wanting to pray for them as I think of the rather frightening experience they're about to have or they're having. I mean, I, as I was in the ambulance, and as I was early in the hospital, thought I was probably going to die. So I was just thinking through, well, honestly, for me, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, in Jesus and the promise of heaven for those who die. And I was kind of excited at the thought. <laughs> and that was my first thought. Oh, boy, do I get to see Jesus today? And the second thought was, oh, my wife and kids probably wouldn't like that. <laughs> so, you know, I switched to, um, could I stay, Lord? Would that be okay for my family? And so I think of the the fear that someone's going through, especially if they're not prepared for possible death, and also the fear of a whole new kind of life, because so many people are pretty disabled after a stroke. Mm -hmm. They may never gain like what I've gained, because like I, I was saying, I'm a piano player. Well, I'm playing the piano now. I can play the piano yeah. pretty well still. It's not my my left side strength isn't what it was, but it's mm -hmm. decent. And so I think of what it's of the the new frightening lifestyle they're going to go through, and also I might think of the the blessing because there for me there was a lot of grace and a lot of blessing by going through this experience. Before I was the kind of guy who thought I'll catch up on my sleep when I get to heaven but for now I'm going to drink more coffee and go harder and get more done get up early stay up late just keep rolling there's a lot to do fast right. pace run and I don't do that anymore at all I can't if I push myself I have like what we described where you even think about the strokes I have the experience or the feeling of some of the stroke symptoms because of the prior parietal temporal lobe. I lost my peripheral vision in the upper quadrant, upper left quadrant. So I have no, you can sneak up with me from above and to the left. Well, if, if I start to get stressed, that area of no vision gets larger and I start to lose some vision. I'll go numb on my left side a little bit. I'll start to lose some hearing. I'll lose some coordination on my left side, um, both my hand and my foot. And that all happens just if I get stressed. So as a result, I have a warning system going off in my body not right. to drive too hard. I'm way more peaceful than I was before the strokes. I just am not. I, I slow myself down and say, I can't hurry. And I don't need to hurry. 
I can just go through life at a nice, comfortable pace and stay peaceful. So I'm probably nicer to be around, actually, than before I had the stroke. <laughs> so it's almost like the Lord uh, within this stroke has taught you to be still and rest. Yes. And we operate, as you said, a whole lot better when we're balanced, you know. That's that's yeah. amazing. I also, I mean, I get more sleep. I I don't say, yeah, I'll get up at 3.30. I used to say, okay, I'll get up at 3.30 because there's more to do. I'll drink some coffee. I don't do that now. I try to get a full night's sleep always. What would you say to that mate that is caregiving a mate after a stroke? Uh, what would you say to the one that is uh, going through the uncertainty of recovery after a health event. What what would you say to those people? Oh, that's a great question again, Barry. So for the for the spouse, I would say make sure that your soul is healthy and filled, because you're going to have some new stresses, some new drains on you, and. The only thing that you can bring to an experience is you. So if your reservoirs are empty, you're not gonna be a really life-giving person. The stress of your mate's uh, needs is gonna wipe you out. So make sure that you spend some time on self-care, on soul care, you see to yourself. You know, like when you're on an airplane, they tell you, in case of loss of pressure, an oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. Put it on yourself first and then your child. Hmm. And I think that's really important in life to make sure that you're okay. Because your spouse is going to have a lot of new needs. Right. And it's going to be fearful and emotional. So take care of yourself and then love your spouse and be patient. Be patient nice. and kind. They're going through a lot. They're fearful. They're uncertain. They've never walked this road before either. And to the um, to both, you know, your question was, what would you say to the to the mate and to the person who's now going through recovery after a stroke? So I, my, I mean, it's obvious. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a Christian. And one of the most important promises I have is uh, from the Book of Psalms called the Shepherd Psalm. Psalm 23, where David's writing, and he says these words, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or if you know the old language is, I shall not want, but it doesn't mean I shall not desire. That's an ancient way of saying, I won't be in want, I won't lack. So the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And probably almost every morning, I start out my day thinking through and praying through this reality. I really believe it's true because I belong to a good God who's a loving father and who's sometimes like a shepherd. I don't really have any lack. So going through a stroke, you can feel like you have big lack. Like, oh no, I've lost everything. Or you can... You can have a fresh perspective if you know the Lord and say, I think in actuality, I don't have any lack. 
the Lord is taking care of me. He's making me to lie down like a sheep in a green pasture. So let me just slow down my fear and my heart and realize that I am loved and I'm going to make it through this. And there's nothing I can go through that God won't give me the resources I need to make it through this event. So I'm going to be fine. Yeah. In fact, there's probably going to be a blessing. I, I Something that I said the day I was having those strokes, I remember this. I was kind of excited because I know the Bible teaches in, um, in Paul's writing that the Lord's strength is perfected in our weakness. And I remember praying saying, Lord, this is the most weak I've ever been in my life. So mm. I think you're going to do something better than ever. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with your strength in my weakness. So maybe I'm saying all that to say, believe in the promises of God. They are true. They are real. They will work. And it's been my experience now having gone through this that absolutely God has been with me. I've never been alone. If ever I started to get fearful, the Lord was there. You know, that shepherd psalm after saying the part that I said says, therefore, if I go through even the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And when you go through a stroke, you're kind of going through the valley of the shadow of death. If you know the Lord, um, you're not going to fear any evil. And all, of, I mean, I, I guess I'm a preacher and that's coming out now. But all of that leads me to say this to everybody. Build relationship now. I was in a lot of relationship with a lot of people, so much so that literally people would walk into the hospital to the front desk and they would say, don't tell me you're here to see Ron Ost. There were so many people coming to the hospital, even the first day, outside in the waiting room to support me. And this is pre-COVID, so anyone can get in the hospital. Um, I had so much support. And, and I say to people somewhat frequently, look, a day is coming when you're going to need people. Build relationship now. Have people that you love, that you care for, and that love you and that care for you. Because when you get to the point that you need them, it's too late to get them. Get in community today. And you're going to be blessed already, but you're also going to be really blessed when you need community. Because yeah. pity the person who's walking alone and has a stroke and has no family and no friends. That would be a frighteningly lonely place. I was, I was surrounded by the grace that comes from the family of God. Surrounded. There were people in my room praying. There, were, um, there was a prayer meeting in the, one of the meeting rooms at the hospital. They set up a prayer meeting that we put on Zoom. And I, I, you know, I went into this um, particular room where families meet. And it was packed full of friends that were pastors and people from multiple churches. And they were going to have a prayer meeting for me. And they even put it on Facebook Live or Zoom, I can't remember which, so that people could join us. I was so supported. And, and we, we said this is a stroke of grace. That's part of the grace, the grace of the family of God. That's, I, I started out telling you I love the church. I love the church. The church of Jesus Christ was there for me in my time of need. So I was carried, my family was carried, money was given to us, food was given to us, 
people cared for us and it was it was wonderful to see the family of God come together. Well, Ron, I appreciate you sharing uh, your story. I couldn't help but hear that though you were a lot like this before, it seems as though you're even more present and more intentional now. Yes, that's probably true. You know, post-stroke, because the Lord brought you through, you have more of a, I think, an impact on people because you're, you're, I think you're more present. I would say that's probably true, Barry. Mm -hmm. Well, over the years, Ron, you have been an encourager, a friend, even to me and my family and to so many others. I think the takeaway for me having a stroke is to continue to put one foot in front of the other and know that every breath and every step is from the Lord. That's Um, right. All of us have, all of us are terminal. (laughs) No one gets out of here alive. And the time that you have and I have, we share the uniqueness of what we went through, but we do have uh, a gift every day. And That's right. there's sometimes a new thinking for me is to recognize that I'm breathing. Yes. Before, I wouldn't have noticed. That's but right. every breath I have is a gift. I, I'm sure in some way you have that kind of experience too. It's oh, like, hey, I'm time, still here. Barry. Yeah. All the time. Um, I got to think almost every day, if not every day, multiple times a day, there's something I do that I realize, um, that's a gift. Yeah. You know, I, I'm standing in a shower saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm standing in a shower because there was a time that I had to sit in a shower chair Yeah. and I didn't know if I'd ever get out of that. Yeah. In fact, you borrowed ours, remember? Yes, I we borrowed had it yours. For, That's right. For my in-laws. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm walking and without a cane. Yeah. And I say, thank you, Lord, that I'm walking without a cane. This is a gift. I appreciate it. Or I'm eating food. You know? mm. I appreciate, once again, you sharing your story and I know my listeners are going to be encouraged because it is a story of encouragement it's a story of grace but the encouragement is there's so many things that the Lord brought you through it shows his faithfulness it shows his kindness uh, how he brought people around you I mean there's just so much to be encouraged by your story yeah The story is filled with the hand of God. Yeah. From before to during to after. The Ah. Lord was so with me. It's it's just astounding to me. Even the fact that the neurologist that would take care of me starts going to my church five days before this event. Ah. And two years later, she also treated me. That's right. I remember calling her going, hey, I think one of my guys is in your, in your ward. And she goes, oh, yes. And then she was, a, a, you know, she was, it was nice to have someone on the inside to tell us on the outside what was going on with you. Yeah, because of COVID, no one, right. no one could come in. Right. 
Yeah. So she was she was reporting to me, and I could report to your family how oh, you were doing, wow. what was going on. I don't know if you knew that, but I was in contact with her right away. No, no. Ah, oh, that's great. Well, I uh, I would never want to go through hard times. I don't sign up for it. Right. But when I do, I don't have fear. Uh, one way or the other, because I know he's with me and I know that that's your go-to as well. You know, that's exactly we're not right. alone. Not alone. Never alone. Yeah. 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 I mean, I use, sometimes I use the story to tell people, if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're missing out. I mean, he is so good. Mm. And it's so good to be in what could be a terribly frightening situation and not be alone. Yeah. It's hard enough with him. Yeah. <laughs> what do they do without him? That's always been my thinking, you know. But uh, Yeah. I remember thinking several times throughout the, the, you know, the more difficult days in the hospital, how do people do this if, one, they don't know the Lord, and, two, they don't know the family of God? I, I can't imagine going through this without this incredible resource of the family of God that yeah. I love being part of his church. It's really remarkable. Well, I love you, Ron. Love you too, Barry. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Are you aware that each episode has show notes? Some will have special links and resources. Please add your comments and do share this with those you know. This is the My New Norm podcast, and I am still your host, Barry Scott Young.